I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. This is a Dynamics 365 podcast focusing on the ingredients of a successful Dynamics 365 practice. Your host is Business Solution MVP Mark Smith, otherwise known as NZ365Guy. Over the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing seasoned professionals from various parts of the world talking about what it takes to be successful in a Dynamics 365 practice. For more information on this interview, show notes, feedback, and resources mentioned or to suggest a guest for future episodes, please go to nz365guy.com forward slash podcast. Thanks to Maplytics for sponsoring the Dynamics 365 practice podcast. iNorgic is a leading Microsoft Gold Dynamics CRM ISV delivering best-in-class Dynamics 365 solutions through unparalleled offerings of service and add-ons. Its flagship products, Maplytics, is a market-leading certified for Microsoft Dynamics 365 geo-analytical mapping app that empowers users with powerful map visualization and routing capabilities to drive better sales, improve business processes, and engage right customer at the right time. Hi everyone, I'm here with Jim Sheehan and in this episode we're going to be focusing on the people in a dynamics practice. Jim is a Senior Vice President at Power Objects and HCL Company and has many years experience working with dynamics. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. So let's get underway. Can you tell us a bit about your uh, dynamics career so far? How did it begin and, and, and where has it taken you? Sure, Mark, I'd be happy to run through that. That could take up our whole time, but uh, I'll try to condense it and get it down to the meaningful highlights throughout the last the last decade. Uh, but really, power objects, and for those of you that have followed us, we, we sort of came into the Microsoft ecosystem in the sort of 2006 timeframe. Uh, the uh-huh. company was actually founded back in 93 by my business partner as a power builder consulting firm. And we did custom app uh-huh. dev for a, a number of mostly North America type companies and governmental agencies. And, and we're quite successful. But Sybase uh-huh. and that tool set sort of started falling out of favor. And I came on board in the organization to try to figure out what's next, where's power objects going to go. Uh, I was pretty pretty firm in the thought that I wanted to partner with Microsoft. Uh, Uh I had just been through an experience with Sybase where they did not really have a partner first mentality. Uh, They weren't investing in the tool sets where we made our money. And I I said, here's here's a publisher out there that has a strong balance sheet. Uh, They've got a bunch of interesting products and and we should be able to find Uh a way to hitch our wagon to Microsoft in some way, shape or form. So we... We looked, we looked at the whole, you know, the stack and sort of said, what, what should power objects be here? And, and we were a custom app dev shop, so we could have just been .NET mm-hmm. app dev, but that whole business model was, was changing. And if you think back into the early 2000s, you know, you had vendor management systems coming into play, a, a lot more offshoring. Mm-hmm. It, it just was becoming a commoditized business, and there wasn't a lot of ways for us to add value there. Um, so mm-hmm. as we looked across the Microsoft product stack, there was this thing called CRM, and and we had done a little bit of work in it, probably a couple hundred thousand dollars that year, just helping a few people implement it. Uh, uh-huh. But there were a lot of things that were unique about the product that we liked. We had the ability to run it in our data center and run it as in a hosted type model. Uh, we really looked at it as the next gen of UI for business applications. We saw it sort of as this XRM platform from day one. And uh, yeah. and we also, after sort of digging in with the engineering teams, it was Craig Unger back in the day, um, 
but uh-huh. it, it became pretty obvious that there was going to be some level of investment from Microsoft in this product for the foreseeable future. Uh, so yeah. in 2007, we decided to quit selling anything else that we were doing. And we were doing web hosting. We owned an ISP. So we were doing dial-up and DSL and handheld development, uh-huh. and wow, websites wow. and custom apps. Uh-huh. I mean, we did everything. And we said, we're going to focus 100% of our effort on driving value with dynamic CRM. Uh, we made that switch pretty much overnight and and haven't looked back since. So that was sort of the beginning of the journey and it's 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 been an interesting path since then. Fantastic. So you're focused purely on dynamic CRM from from that time forward. We were uh, we had a couple projects wow. that we ran out from uh we were doing some big power builder migrations um, that we that was sort mm-hmm. of our runway. We said, you know, these projects have this much longer to last. And and you have to remember back in the day, we were only 20, 25 people. So it wasn't, I wasn't managing multi-million dollar payrolls and, and, and things like that. But Uh so you could map it out pretty easily and sort of say, this is our runway. We have to go through and retool the whole organization to be developers on top of dynamics. And we have to go out and start selling this work. Uh, We laid it out to the whole company. I still remember And I still have the PowerPoint that I used to sort of explain why we were going to do it, how we were going to do it, and basically saying, you know, we're driving this bus and you're all sitting in the seats. I'm going to pull over to the side of the road. If anybody wants off, get off now. If you don't, this is where we're going. Come on along for the ride. And we only lost one person during that. And it was a sales yeah, salesperson that uh, said, no, they wanted to keep selling Sybase. So away Uh they went. Uh Uh-huh. Fantastic. So this year, I noticed that PowerObjects won the Microsoft Worldwide Partner of the Year for Dynamics 365 Consulting and uh, System Integration. What effect does that have on your people, winning awards like that? Well, you know, <laughs> it has a it has a big impact. It's a it's a validation from our only business partner that we're still adding value to them. Uh, all the Partner of the Year awards that we've won, and we've won many throughout the years, uh, are a validation from from Microsoft. These are uh, highly sought after awards, and and people are pretty excited when they get it from yeah. a dynamics dynamic standpoint we've probably won as many partner of the year awards as anybody mm-hmm. um, and I, I would like to say the excitement is still as high as the very first time but that I'd be lying uh, yeah. that first time in 20, 2012 when we won the CRM partner of the year mm-hmm. uh it was like shell shock around the organization. I mean, we were just like, wow, wow we did it. So we, I have this concept that we run. One of the things that we do in the organization is we have a BHAG. And that's uh-huh, just an acronym uh-huh. for a b- b- big, hairy, audacious goal. Yep, fantastic. And uh, I like to say that it's the, it's the guiding light to drive the organization to. So everybody knows what we're trying to do. And it's at the, the, the ultimate litmus test in business decisions. So if, uh-huh. if, and our BHAG at the time was to be named the number one dynamic CRM partner in the world. So every yeah. decision we made at that time was to take us closer to that. And in technology, uh-huh. as you know, there's all sorts of things that come at you day in and day out around uh-huh. Uh, what you could do. And, and being an entrepreneur and a, a tech entrepreneur, I mean, everything's a shiny object and I see profit potential almost in any any enterprise we could enter. This was a way to really keep me focused and the organization focused on yeah. getting to that point. And we got there. And uh, yeah. BHAGs are typically aspirational and you you work for decades to get to them. And, and in six years, we had hit our BHAG, and and wow. uh, so the excitement uh, was huge. We rented a big boat, flew everybody in from around the country, went out Brilliant. and had a big party, and uh, really really celebrated that success. Now we we have not done that for every partner of the year, so I I would yeah. you know <laughs> it's uh, they're not, but they're still critically important. It validates every single day what we're doing and how we're doing it. 
Yeah, brilliant. So, so how how are your people involved in winning the awards? Like, I know you know I've been in the same situation uh, with these awards, and always encouraging my project teams to be you know when they're working on a project, saying, "Is your project going to be the one that we submit?" Or you know, and the idea of submitting more than once. So, how do you motivate your team to to go after you know that BHAG and uh, and I really identify what you're going to submit as your you know your solution um, to ultimately get you to that point yeah so power objects has always run a pretty strong marketing team i mean for our, for a practice our size i think we've got over 20 people that just work in marketing and wow fantastic marketing takes many aspects with inside a, an organization if it's done properly and and i always say uh-huh. it should look external and it should look internal um so we've got some core people that are really the the cheerleaders with inside the organization around making sure that everybody knows all the great work that's happening. And uh, if you check out our website and sort of look at some of the things we do, we have like this POTV where we do this internal video mm-hmm. broadcast that we, we, you know, we blog it and we, we push it out. But we have a line of people yep. within the organization that sort of stand there and want to tell their pieces of the story because everyone's so Brilliant. excited that's excited that's about it. it. So we have a production studio yeah. in the office and the you know people will uh, you know the list of people that want to do things is longer than we we have time to do. Uh, so it's really the marketing team that is in there making sure that we, are successfully telling the stories of our customers and telling those back to Microsoft, mm-hmm. telling them to the community. Uh, and it's Brilliant. it's sort of a cultural thing that we've built up that everyone's pretty excited about what we do. And we have a lot of other ways that we we share our successes. If, if it's just in Yammer with Jam Jams or if we're doing, you know, lunch uh-huh, and uh-huh. learns, uh, you know, the some of the challenges with that have been uh, as we've become a global organization, it's a lot different than having a couple hundred people in Minneapolis. All of a sudden, you know, we've got a thousand people across the globe and I have to keep that level of sharing up there. So we're always looking at new innovative ways to leverage technology uh, to make sure everybody knows what everybody's doing. Yeah. So you say you've used Yammer. What else? What else are you using? You're looking at Microsoft Teams, or what? What other tools to really get that messaging and, and keep that, you know, everybody excited? Um, what type of tooling are you using? Well, yeah, you can imagine everything on the Microsoft stack. We're we're pretty deep in on the the Skype and the Yammer and the Microsoft uh-huh. Teams. Uh, a lot, yep. a lot happens with Inside Dynamics, as you <laughs> as you can imagine. Our whole company runs on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. we've been testing out a lot of interesting video technologies from a broadcasting perspective because there's there's something magical about mm-hmm. actually getting people up in front live and talking. So right before uh, this yeah. uh, this podcast recording that we're doing right now, I do something every Friday morning called Bagels and Bing. We call it Bagels and Bing because we have, uh-huh. we bring in bagels and it's Bing because that's where you go to get answers. And uh, I sort of do a 30-minute wow. company recap, highlights from all the departments, take Q&A, yep. but we broadcast it live uh, just because that's uh-huh. the way people want to interact on that and take questions. And it's, it's fun. You know, it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's all part yeah. of the culture and it's things that, that take work to make them happen, but it makes a difference. Yeah. So you just said there, it's fun. And I find it interesting. Um, you see you've been named top workplace of the year for the past four years. What ingredients um, do you combine to make your company that workplace of choice for staff? You obviously create a culture around it. Um, can you share a bit about what's involved there? Yeah, and I think that comes back to, and and this is something that's internally focused. And uh, so it's weird to talk about on a podcast because I don't really put it in front of customers yeah. and I don't put it out there externally much. But we, we run our unit on a set of shared values mm-hmm. or core values, which a lot of companies yep. do. But they're typically put together as a marketing statement to say, look how great we are. What, what we've put together, our core values are to sort of define who we are and and the kind of people that will enjoy a career at power objects yeah. um, 
So when I when I when I think about those, uh, we leverage those to sort of bring the right right people into the organization, and that's what ultimately drives having fun. One of our core values mm-hmm. is love what you yeah. do, and loving what you do is. Uh, Come if if you get a thousand people within a within a unit that are are loving what they do. I mean, it's amazing uh-huh. what happens, and and that becomes fun. Uh, you can look at people historically that have not loved what they're doing. I guarantee you, they're not having fun yeah. at work. Um, but uh, if I look at that core value and sort of see how that translates into what you asked, you know, that's where it comes from is by hiring people that love what they do. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So in very successful teams, there's often this culture, um, you know, uh, if you like, there's often a culture within it that really leads to that success. Um, where have you seen that before where, you know, culture is really driving some of the outcomes that you're wanting to, to see? Uh, within our organization or, 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 or broadly, broadly in other companies? You've learned them from others and then applied them internally. Um, you know, what have you seen that has worked effectively to, to create the culture that ultimately leads to your outward successes over time? Yeah, so it's it's interesting being in IT consulting because I've got I've had the opportunity over the last couple of decades to really get involved with lots of companies and and that's one of the great things about consulting. Even though I, I I'm not an implementer like like a lot of the people that may listen yeah. to this, I do get a chance from an executive standpoint to go in and observe all sorts of different sizes of companies. And uh, you know, you've you've been consulting, so uh-huh. you've you know companies that you drop in and you can just start to feel the culture and and what the attitude is yeah. around uh, whatever the given task is of that organization. Yeah. You know, yeah. ours is to implement Dynamics 365 successfully and, and um, it, you know, and it's different when you drop into nonprofits or governmental agencies or, or for-profits that are passionate about their products. I mean, there's things that it's hard to articulate on what makes it successful, Mm. but you know it when you see Mm. it. And as sort of the cultural guru with Inside Power Objects, it's my job to sort of maintain that level of culture across the organization. And it's one of my top goals for this year and and almost every Mm -hmm. year is how do we continue to take that power objects culture and expand this as we become global? You know, I've got teams in five different cities in India now, we're Mm -hmm. in the UK, I'm hiring people in Singapore, we're all across the US and Canada. So how do we take that magic that is that culture and do it? So if I roll it back and sort of say, well, let's keep it simple and sort of say, what were the what were the criteria that made it su- successful when we were 50, 100, 200 people? Mm-hmm. And let's take that out. And it really starts back again with the core values and who we bring in and, and allow really to work within the Power Objects teams. Yeah. And it's people that, you know, think about adding value. Uh, they think about working in teams. They love what they do. They they really live and breathe the technology. And we also look for people that sort of strive to take this high, the high moral road is uh-huh, what I would say. Uh-huh. You know, it's not always about maximum profitability. It's about doing good in the world and, and doing the right thing. Fantastic. Um, so we can we continue to sort of hire around these core values, bring these people in. And then as leaders of the organization, it's my job. If we're successful in doing that, the only job I then have is to remove obstacles for people and get out of their way mm-hmm. because they will be more successful than than I could ever be in trying to micromanage what they're doing, yeah. which no one likes to do. True, 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 true. So – so one of the, 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 the situations I've come across a lot is you have staff working out, uh, let's say, customer side. So they almost get fully embedded in that customer's business and may not come into the, the office much. And therefore, if you like, the culture is not rubbing off them uh, to the same degree. How, how do you maintain that level of communication for your consultants that may be on a more long-term project? It's, it's on the customer's site rather than back in, in your premises. How do you make sure that they're still being, they're still very sticky to power objects and power objects culture? 
Yeah. And that's, it's one of the biggest challenges in the, in consulting. And it's not just uh-huh. IT consulting, any consulting, exactly. I, I call it sort of the rogue mindset. So you get so embedded within a customer's, you also, you almost become part of that culture yeah. versus the culture that, that you're employed by. So I don't know the magic bullet answer to that. I can say the techniques that we use are really around the core value of that think team. And uh-huh. we try to leverage that. Uh-huh. Um, what I tell people is, you know, make it through Minneapolis or make it through whatever your home office yeah. is as often as you can and make sure that you find time to interact with those people. Good. But also remember that you're the face for power. If you're if you're the sole consultant, let's say out on, on some project, you are the face of power objects oh, there. Oh, oh. And what we've told that customer is that we're not putting, you know, Beth or Joe out there. We're putting a Power Objects team member out there and they have at their asset, at their disposal, you know, all the assets with inside Power Objects and everybody on that team. And they have ways to take, so we can make you that much better. Uh-huh. Uh, so stay plugged into that team. So if you've ever, you know, seen Yammer within an organization really used, yeah, yeah. uh, that would be like our Yammer. I mean, people are posting questions sure. constantly. It's like, I'm seeing this. Has anybody ever, you know, experienced this? And it's like 20 answers come back. Oh, yeah, do this or do this. Or, yeah, too. we've had that. Or um, So it's it's really about making sure that they still feel like they're part of the team, yeah. even if they're not sitting next to teammates day in and day out. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. So one of the things I've noticed uh, over the, the last uh, few years, Dynamics 365, you know, is constantly changing. We've gone from a three-year release cadence from Microsoft to now two major releases a year plus many smaller updates. How do you balance billable time with the need for staff to continue to develop their skills? So once again, if you go back to that example where the consultants are, you know, on site maybe for six months or something, um, you know, uh, Stephen Covey always said, you know, uh, you've got to sharpen the saw. So how do you make sure that your staff stay sharp uh, on purpose, if you like, rather than just leave it up to the individuals, um, uh, you know, to, to monitor that, if you like? Well, <laughs> you probably won't like my answer, but I believe that it should be left up to the individuals. Yep. Now, it's my responsibility as the leader in the organization to make sure that the content and the resources are available for them to sharpen their skill set. Mm-hmm. But if I don't you know, it comes back to the core value of loving what you do and living yeah. the technology. If I don't bring people in that that love this and really live and breathe this, mm-hmm. I I could s- spend all sorts of money sending them to all sorts of classes, oh. and it's not going to make make a, a a hill of difference. Yeah. Um. But but if I have those right people, and then I set up all everything that they need to consume to be the best consultants in the world. Yeah. They become the best consultants in the world. I don't have to. I don't have to have a carrot or a stick to make them do it. It just just happens. Brilliant. So what I do is we have we have a whole internal education team yeah. that's in charge of doing everything that it would take to you know manage you know from the CRM to the ERP workloads uh-huh, in Dynamics uh-huh. 365. And and as you know, I mean you've you've been an MVP, so you've watched this product go from yeah. a Salesforce automation tool to you know we we now need to have Adobe experts to really right. handle the That's enterprise right. marketing, uh-huh. uh, field service, you know, the professional services. You think about what they've done with you know CCA and USD and and sort of where that's gone. I mean, we've got centers of excellence around all these specific yep. skill sets. And then we just have to make sure that everybody knows the lights on and then they just sort of get attracted to what, what they really want to become experts at. Brilliant. Brilliant. So what I take it, you, you provide all the resources and saying, guys, it's here, wherever you see your career going, come and consume it and, and can you continue to develop your skills. Yeah. And, and I, and and the whole organization tries to stand up and say this is you know because we're a utilization driven organization. I mean, mm-hmm. we professional services. We turn time into money, and <laughs> my next so question. I'm always trying to tell people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm um, I'm I'm trying to show people where I think the opportunity is going to lie. Yeah. Um, 
you know, if, if we, if we have a ton of field services opportunities in the pipe or, or call center opportunities uh-huh. in the pipe, we're sort of saying, you know, this is what we see coming. Yep. So uh, we're teaching this class internally, this one, this yep. one, if you have cycles, you know, Brilliant. watch the recordings or, or get there live. Let's, let's take advantage of this. Yeah. Um, and so far, it's worked. Yeah, brilliant. So that leads to the next question. Uh, you know, is this word utilization, which any consultancy, uh, you know, organization is driven around utilization of staff and billable time. So sometimes mm-hmm. in a lot of the practice I've, I've seen, it only becomes about utilization and nothing else. In other words, there's there's zero time for upskilling. It is, you know, uh, you know, 90 plus billable or utilization is what's um, uh, required. So what's your opinion and how do you find the balance between utilization and other competing priorities uh, in developing your people? Well, you know, everyone's got sort of a utilization target and that's what we need to to run the organization based on the budgets that we sort of set out. Uh So people people understand where those sit and ours aren't in the nineties. They're in the eighties, but it's, it's, I think it's realistic. Now we know um, just through experience that that's not going to come in in a perfectly even flow never does. Uh, And it doesn't, doesn't for individuals. So what we tell people is uh, you've, you've got this two month project. that's going to consume 120% of your time. Uh Um, do you want to be booked on something right away or you need a little downtime? How do you yep. want to, how do you want to manage this? And they may say, you know, I need to, I need to go brush up on this USD stuff. You know, yep. don't schedule me on anything on this week and uh, let me, let me do that during that time. Uh-huh. Um, and we try to record everything we do from a, from a training okay. standpoint yep. so people can consume it when they need to consume it. Uh-huh. Because uh, you, it doesn't always line up for when you need it. Um, but you know, it, it's the business we're in. It's we're in consulting. But again, it comes back to I think the love what you do and live the technology. Yeah. Uh, if if you know, and I I typically will tell people don't go into consulting if you're looking for a thirty five to forty hour yeah work week yeah. you know. Monday through Friday, eight yeah. to five job. It's just, yeah. that's not our, our life. I mean, we're at the whims of our customers yeah. and we're at that. So people that really excel in this kind of, of business, you know, spend more than 40 hours a week, you know, working. But yeah. again, if you love it and, you know, the the most exciting thing for you that day is to learn something new about this, you know, it's uh, people make it happen at, all hours of the day. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. So what strategies have you found to be effective in finding and attracting new talent into the dynamics practice? The reason I ask this is that I've, you know, uh, in the markets I've operated in, I've seen uh, talent move just from company to company. Um, uh, sometimes there's not a lot of net new coming to, uh, you know, into the business. So how do you um, find them? How do you attract them? Oh, this could be a whole two-hour conversation. Just give me the high level. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've got some strong feelings on this. So uh, one of the things that we've done that's sort of unique. So uh, let me back up a little bit. Running the dynamics practice and really growing it from the ground up has given me a lot of interesting, interesting views into this problem. I call it resource constraint. And we've we've been in a resource constrained market ever since I've been in this business. If you think about where the product was at 3.0 to where we're at with Dynamics 365 today, the you know, we may not have eclipsed Salesforce yet, but we continue to gain market share. We continue to gain customers. We can, we continue to be able to sell more work than we can we can deliver. Yep. So, so, um, you know, I've watched Microsoft wring their hands around this for years about channel capacity uh-huh. and sort of talk about, oh, how are we going to get enough consultants? What can we do to make the partner? And yeah. I've always just said, you you guys focus on the product, create the opportunity, and it's up to entrepreneurs to really look at that opportunity and figure out how to monetize that. Uh-huh. So very early on, 
um, we we made the decision that we don't work with recruiters. Yep. So one of the things I'm not a big fan of is shuffling resources around in the market because I don't yeah. think it adds to the value of the channel and sort of what we're doing. So so we have recruiting, yep. talent acquisition, we call it, but it's all, all pretty much done internally. internally yeah. um, and what I said is, let's let's look at what it takes to make the best power objects consultant that we can do. So it's about bringing the right people into the organization. So the first thing we're going to do is hire based on the core values and then let's train them to be consultants. And I've added hundreds of people to the channel uh, through what we call our CIT program, our consultants in training. So we bring people in, uh, we hire them 12 to 20 at a time. Uh Uh, They go through a 90 day course. And at the end of that, they come out and they typically will kick into the consulting teams. Some of them end up in sales. Some of them end up in pre-sales. Some of them end up in marketing. I mean, it's sort of fun. There's sort of a feeding frenzy at the end yeah, of every yeah. class as the leaders in the organization are like, I want that person. I want that person. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But that's that's what we had to do to really become the largest dynamics practice yep. in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, because there were not enough people to go out there and attract. Totally well, agree. when you start investing in people like that and building up the team and have a winning team, uh, time and time again, that starts to attract some of the other talent within the industry. Yeah. Um, so we do hire from other practices. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's happened. You don't yeah, get to yeah. our size and not have other people from other practices. But more often than not, uh, it's at a point where they're looking to really be in a move to a practice that's dedicated to the technology yeah, because they feel like their their organization's moving away from the technology that they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Exactly the kind of people I want, yep. someone that's passionate about the technology. So we will attract those kind of people and we bring those in and we will bring in lateral moves uh, in more senior level roles yep. in the yep. organization. Yep. Um, but the that's sort of how we've dealt with this capacity challenge and... Uh, you know, it's it's. I'm rolling it out in Singapore right now mm-hmm. to really build it up because there's not enough people there. We're doing it across India right now, and mm-hmm. in all of our offices over there. And it's, uh, you know, people like like to have some investment done in their career as well. And it's right. it's yeah. it's a great way to bring people in and sort of make them understand what what the culture is about. Brilliant. So, so those people that go into that program, are you typically seeing them come from other careers? Let's say maybe somebody traditionally an accountant or have some type of, you know, uh, business skills that then transfer onto the technology? Or are you taking grads uh, fresh out of university that want a career consulting and then putting them through your 90-day program? We've done both. Mm-hmm. Uh and, you know, probably the most rewarding is to see, take college grads and yeah. and really launch them into careers where they can really, really have a meaningful career. Uh, but that's not always the best place to start for the organization. Some of the most successful ones, and mm-hmm. they've been successful across the board, but where we've seen people with one to two years of a business app experience, maybe as an administrator mm-hmm. or end user, but... Um, then taking those people and they're looking for a career. They they found out they're passionate about the technology, yep. just not sure where yet. Uh, and they think they would like to get a little broader than working for a single company. And, uh-huh. you know, consulting is great if you want to see yeah. a lot of different problems and, and help a bunch of different people. Uh, so we, we have a review interview process for this. So typically when we'll go to run one of these classes, we'll announce in a geo that we're going to do this yep. and we'll set up uh, a beer and pizza hour or something in the uh-huh, evening. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And we'll literally get a hundred people to come to this and they know what we're, we're talking about. And, yeah, yeah. you know, we're typically talking about the ca- career and consulting and how that sort of works inside power objects. And, and this is the program that we're hiring for. Mm-hmm. And we have way more people than we could actually ever hire, but Brilliant. we go through and really narrow in on the core values and make sure that we're getting the, the, you know, 
the people that fit out of that group yep. and bring them into the company. Yeah. Um, so we've just taken that and we've duplicated that across the world and it, it's working for us. Fantastic. Fantastic. I feel like I kind of know, based on what we've discussed so far, the answer to uh, the next question I have, and it's around loyalty of staff um, and and other practices trying to cannibalize your talent. How do you maintain or address the loyalty of staff? And, you know, when, if you like, dare I say, vultures uh, circling and uh, trying to uh, uh, attract your talent away from you, what do you do? All we can really do is stand there and, and lead by example and do the best job that we can right. to put fun, exciting work in front of people and create an atmosphere where they, they want to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can imagine, I mean, you're, you're, you were in New Zealand or Australia, but I'm guessing you still probably heard of power objects. Oh, um, true. So I, you, I, know, I know a bunch of your MVPs yeah. as well and, uh, and uh, see a lot of your, uh, your videos, as you say, and your tweets and uh, yeah. Joe CRM. Um, yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. So we don't fly under anybody's radar. So you have to imagine we're probably the biggest target in the world. Yeah. Um, and as and and as I've said, we're a resource constrained market. So uh, uh, you know, people people sell something that they can't deliver. The first thing they do is say, "Who has Dynamics people?" And then, yep, the recruiters mm-hmm. hit. So this right. this has been it, it bothered me. It bothered me more in the early days. Um, especially if someone would leave, I, I really felt this sense of betrayal. But I realized after many of these people left and then came back um, that sometimes people need to go out there and experience other practices and and understand really what we have and and the magic that is is inside yeah. of Power Objects and why why it is so special. And I've had a, a number, you know, I can think of a dozen conversations where people have left to another practice and, and then have come back and <laughs> they've sat down and sort of told me, you know, the war stories and, and really yeah. thanked me for what the leadership team has put together here and how we run yeah. it and how we treat people and, and what we do. And that's probably the most rewarding piece around that. Yeah. Um, but it still hurts when I have somebody totally. have somebody leave. And sometimes it's even knowing that they're, they're making moves for the wrong reasons that aren't. And I, I, I know, you know, a lot of the practices and not everyone, um, works as hard to retain people and keep a culture going as, yeah. as we have. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a, uh, it's a double-edged sword. Um, uh-huh. But one of the things we've done is, you know, if you invest in your people and, you know, and you, and you keep fun, exciting work in front of people, you know, most of them stay. Yeah, totally true. Good. And I can tell you, you know, just in talking to you, you've absolutely got a fantastic culture. So, how about uh, uh, one of the goals I always uh, strive for is to create the concept of a, um, a master craftspeople, you know, so people that uh, they really saw this was a career, this wasn't a stepping stone to something else, this was about, you know, are you going to be the very best in this chosen career? How do you motivate it? Do you sense that you, you know, you choose good people to start with that are aligned with your organization that you don't really have to motivate for it? What's your, what's your feeling around, you know, kind of setting those goals high for your staff to, to give them somewhere to go and achieve and become the very best in the industry? Yeah, and that's uh, that's been an interesting shift as we've gotten larger because as you, you know, I, I'm, I'm a – I'm in favor of sort of flat t- type of organizations. Yep. I, I don't yep. believe in a lot of middle management. I, I always believe it's just our job to uh, remove obstacles and you don't need a lot of management to remove obstacles. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we've gotten bigger, uh, you'll get senior level uh, consultants and people that have really become those master craftsmen. Yep. And we have to give them career paths that really continue to to feed their their internal drive. And so one of the things that the delivery organization has really stratified, and we've started to build out these centers of excellence around specific uh-huh. skills. Maybe it's in the in the data skill sets or the yeah. you know the 
field service skill sets or, or whatever it happens to be oh. and um, give those people an outlet to sort of, you know, feed that part of their, their spirit inside of those centers of excellence. And it's, it's really helped, helped people to continue to be excited about honing that skill and, um, and being good. The other thing we can do is because, uh, you know, Microsoft is, is the only product that we think about and Dynamics mm-hmm. specifically, um, making sure that those master craftsmen are really tied in tightly with the product teams and, and getting a chance to make a difference in the product or at least talk to the people that are, are deciding the directions in their products. So, that's always sort of a fun to make those connections and keep those people excited around that. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's fantastic. So my next question is around unconscious bias and how do you proactively, you know, being a senior leader in your organization, address the potential for unconscious bias to operate in the workplace? Now, when you say unconscious bias, are you talking ethnic, gender, religious preference, that kind of bias? Yeah, and and where it's made, if you like, not um, deliberately, but just through, um, I suppose, inertia in a way. I'll give you an example. Um, uh, I was uh, doing some research around this topic, and there was an example of a choir, and they decided they were wanting to get to like 50-50, not a choir, sorry, an orchestra, a 50-50 balance between male and female in the orchestra. And so they decided to blind test whenever they, um, you know, uh, had a recital for a new role. And the balance still stayed skewed uh, towards the males. And then they went through a process of, they, uh, you know, with the blind test, they thought that would sort it out. And they found that by having everybody take their shoes off when they walked onto the stage, uh, it ended up becoming 50-50. In other words, the sound of shoes was the unconscious bias. It was the lean to assess or make that trigger in the brain that this was either male or female and was actually affecting the decisions being made. Once they did that, it went to pretty much a 50-50 split between male and female in, in, the, in that situation. So when I say unconscious bias, it's, the, it's not the active bias. It's more the ones that are, are, are tells within a, in an organization that are probably a bit harder to address but need to be. Yeah. Yeah, interesting example. So as I think about that whole problem in the the modern workplace and sort of as leaders, what we can do to sort of impact that, um, I'm not sure that I I can effectively impact unconscious bias because it's Mm -hmm. one of those, it's it's an undercurrent problem that's not there. But what I can do is make sure that I build an organization that will not be biased on the surface. How, how can you yeah. do that? You can, you can pick people of, of different gender persuasions and leadership yeah. roles or ethnic backgrounds mm-hmm. or religious mm-hmm. backgrounds. You can make sure that you have a melting pot of people sort of creating the decisions within the organization. Now, if I built an organization yeah. that was just all white Christian males, uh, mm-hmm. you know, then I would have this unconscious white Christian male sort of under yeah. unbiased, you know, problem within the organization. Um, mm. So as a, as a, and the other thing I can do as a leader is when I see bias on the surface, I can take my values and my principles and sort of call that out and shine light on, on the bias. And, and I, I do Pretty. that. Um, whether, you know, whether HR always wants me to do that or not. Um, but I don't have a lot of <laughs> tolerance for it. But, I, you know, I'll have a blind spot on my unconscious bias. So mm-hmm. I have to make sure that I'm not the only one in the organization making decisions. So we've got a very diverse population within our in our company. We try to keep it open and honest. And, and you know, the only thing that I'm trying to hire hire around is our core values. None of those core, yeah. those core yeah. values should be brought blind to gender, religion, sex, you, you name yeah. it. it. None of those play into that. It's, it's about, you know, thinking team and loving what you do. And that's not, that's not an inherent trait in any, any type of person. That's just, some people are made that way and some aren't. And if you, if you yeah. come through our organization, uh, 
I mean, it's it's pretty interesting to see the, the diversity and how that's translated when you start hiring based on on principles versus types of people or whatever. I don't yeah. know if that answers your question, oh, but uh, no, that's, that's, that's what, brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you find most of the creative thinking coming from across your teams? Uh, and do you do anything to proactively encourage whether, you know, so so that the business, if you like, just doesn't get into an inertia of, of the status quo? How do you challenge and create an environment of creating thinking? And where do, where do you feel it comes from within the organization? Well, it comes from every, I mean, the POTV broadcasts are, are a great example. Uh-huh. If you look at that, or if you go back through and look at, you know, and people love, love to get those, um, that's coming from everywhere within the organization. And those are all, it's not people that I've gone out and said, you have to go do this because it's part of your job. These are people that are begging to go share this knowledge or to do this or talk about a subject that they're passionate about and uh, get front of the film crew and sort of, sort of do it up. I was, I was just on that page the other day looking at all the dozens of videos that they've done around that. Uh And it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Absolutely. Um, what I'll do actually post the session in the show notes. I'll make sure I'll put a link to that page so folks that are listening can uh, take a look at it. Um, tell me about um, what advice would would you give to somebody considering a career in Dynamics? So, you know, they've had a bit of experience. They might Their company might have implemented Dynamics. They're wanting to perhaps consider becoming a consultant and actually developing a fully-fledged career with Dynamics. What would your, um, what would your advice to them be? The first thing I would tell people is, I mean, if you've had exposure to dynamics, you know, what what makes you think that you want a career just around this this product? I mean, does it really, does it get you out of bed every morning thinking about how to solve problems for an organization with this with this software? If it does, mm-hmm. you're you're probably on the right track because I've always you, you've got to find something that you love to do because if you don't everything's just a job and just work and you know life's too short to be out there doing something that doesn't doesn't get you out of bed in the morning so uh don't go i mean you can make a you can make a bunch of money being a consultant and our people do do very well but money isn't the reason to get into anything you know you have to be passionate about yeah. it so so ask yourself what was it that that really really you know flipped your trigger when you were working with dynamics in your your company do you want to be out in in front of a bunch of other companies you know helping them solve those kind of problems uh, and then we can get farther into consulting and some of the challenges that you have yeah. there but uh, it, it starts with a passion around the technology and if they can really get excited about the technology and get the right team behind them they can they can go out and have a successful career consulting. Fantastic, fantastic. All right. Well, to wrap up, I just got a couple of quick fire questions um, for you. Uh, first of all, what book do you recommend most to people working in Dynamics, and why? Oh, you know, my favorite business book is one called Traction, and it's more uh-huh. and people that want a uh, want a career within Power Objects, I always recommend that they sort of read Traction because it it really gets into the operating system on how we think about running a business and why we do a lot of the things we do. Uh, it's a short read. It's really, yep. really fun. But uh, as sort of a, do you know the author? Uh, Gino Wickman. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite app and why? Well, what one well, do you use the most? <laughs> if we're talking about uh, apps inside of Dynamics, it's one that we wrote called Power Survey Plus. Uh, and yep, the yep. reason it, well, they originally built it for me because I wanted a way to survey customers and measure customer sat and, and you know, get that data back into yep. Dynamics. Uh, but I've watched sort of the iterations and where that's gone. And uh, it's so powerful to be able to, query segments within dynamics and bring that data back and then act upon that data uh, that it's one we find ourselves, I find myself using all the time. Fantastic. Fantastic. Do you have any daily rituals that kind of set you on the right path for a successful day? Are you asking me how? Kind of things you try to do. 
how frequently OCD, each week. How OCD I am, Mark? <laughs> 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 Ask my team. I'm very OCD. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of these, uh, sort of my ritual is early to bed, early to rise, work out uh-huh. and get to the office. So I've got to spend an hour in the gym every morning doing something to sort of clear my head. And I like to start that at about 5, 5 a.m., get to the office and uh, get going. Fantastic. Fantastic. If you could redo anything in your dynamics career, what would it be? Ooh, if I could redo anything in my dynamics career, what would it be? Uh, started our educational pillar. So we sort of look at the business through four pillars, service support, education, and add-ons. Mm-hmm. Education was the last pillar that really built out in a way where around the training and what goes into yep educational components in a dynamics implementation. I wish I would have started that uh-huh. a couple years earlier because we could have driven a lot more value for our customers. And if I could roll back time, wow. I would have, I would have done that. Wow. Wow. Who do you recommend as a guest for the podcast in the future that uh, we could invite on? <laughs> It'd be great if you could get Satya. I always get, uh, I always get, <laughs> chills whenever I hear Satya speak. Yeah, um, he's incredible, right? I, 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 I don't fancy my chances there. I shook his hand last year, and I think that's the closest I'm getting to him. Yeah, yeah I, his schedule is pretty, pretty packed. Uh, I think it would be beneficial to get some of the new leaders from the, from the product team to talk about sort of the what's happening in the future with Dynamics. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, and those people are shuffling. Do they know? Yeah, those people are shuffling around <laughs> so much, but you know, there is massive change going on at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and if it's if it's on the partnering side, you know, getting someone like a Ron Huddleston to come in and talk about the one commercial partner and sort of where they're taking yeah. that in the ecosystem from a from a you know practice runner standpoint would be interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, very good. Very good. Jim, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Before we go, if people want to follow you or uh, where are you online, where can they find you? Well, LinkedIn is probably the best place to follow me, but uh, uh-huh. I stay pretty close behind the at Joe CRM. And uh, that's our sort of our our public figure for the voice of power objects out there in the world. So Twitter at Joe CRM. It's a great place to, to find us or me. This has been the Dynamics 365 podcast, focusing on the ingredients of a successful Dynamics 365 practice. Your host was business solution MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as NZ365Guy. For more information on this interview, show notes, feedback, and resources mentioned, or if you know someone who would be a great guest for future episodes, please go to nz365guy.com forward slash podcast. Thanks to Maplytics for sponsoring the Dynamics 365 Practice Podcast.